I'm shaking up with the trees, how I keep the leaf in the middle I'm more than these hotel rentals and dental bills adding up I'm the Kennedys out for lunch with a preacher martyr the king I'm Cardi's engagement ring, I'm America showing off I'm Viacom, Viacom, I'm Chappelle and Pelly, Pelly And rapping like Dialon, spell it like Dialon Gave my body to Adam, he told me to lie for him Apple wasn't the apple, the truest end was a pussy I'm patriarchy on Sunday, don't push me, I'm Viacom Y'all niggas got Diddy money, don't push me, I'm Adam Bomb I'm Obama pushing a button, and Libya, Pakistan Humanly a hypocrite, the center and a civilian The pettiest that it gets, I'm America at this best Yeah, I'm America at this best na 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 Yippee ki yippee with the none Start to get the money from riding the haiku Everybody on me, I'm looking just like you. Ipika, Ipika, Tonone. If you smoking dope, then I shall think I come to. Ipika, 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 Ipika. Riddle me happy, I'm lonely hysteria. Along gunmen outside the park, and I'm Mrs. America. I'm everything that you're not, like Kendrick before his prime. I'm the ticking inside his watch, and the underdog you forgot. God, privilege, and money. Part of me buried in the earth, part of me chasing my money. Part of what artificial trappings, y'all can't take nothing from me. I'm going dummy for dummy. If all my godliness is measured by the way that y'all love me, I'm free. Ipikai, Ipikai, with the none. Start to get the money from writing the haiku. Ipikai, Ipikai, with the none. Everybody on me, I'm looking just like you. Ipikai, Ipikai, with the none. If you smoking the beat, right. I should think I come to. We're back, Quinn. And uh, we are very serious. Ipikai, Ipikai. Part two. Um, a lot happened since the last time we recorded, and, uh, the last time we recorded, we even talked about, um, how much wrestling we had watched, and I don't know about you, but since then, I haven't watched a ton. There is a, there is a, I watched a good amount, but nowhere near as much, because there was just so much, I don't know, bad stuff going on that I wasn't that excited, but, uh, how have you been, Quinn? Uh, yeah, I've watched, um, exactly one wrestling show. Since the last time that we have uh, recorded, because there has been a lot going on that you know makes it you know hard to just want to watch actual wrestling. But yeah, let's 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 get to it. Um, obviously, there's some stuff going on uh, independent uh, European and independent wrestling scene wise, and to make sure we cover that as uh, tastefully and respectfully as possible. We're going to wait. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna cover the little bit of wrestling that we've seen that we've seen in this week first, uh, and then get to the more serious stuff. So if you're someone that doesn't want to hear uh, about topics pertaining to the speaking out movement and names of people that were uh, directly uh, named in, in the speaking out movement, then you don't have to listen to the second part second part of this podcast. But we'll be getting to that after a little bit of housekeeping stuff. Yeah. Uh, that, does that, that about cover it? That's very, very fair. And, you know, there's it sucks because there was a ton of stuff that I, I wanted to talk about. So that, you know, like today, earlier, I came up with a conspiracy theory about Tony Khan and AEW. And I'd love to get into that. But it's not it's not the episode for that, unfortunately. Um, so 
the main thing that we wanted to talk about was Bloodsport. We talked about part four last episode, and part five was much better. That's a big part of why I'm not even, like, we talked about it before we recorded, like, saying, like, oh, we should just drop it, because it was, like, really good. It was a good show. I want to talk about it, you know? So, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, you agree? Bloodsport, this Bloodsport was, I mean, uh, largely the same talent with, like, one, obviously, key difference who wasn't there, who obviously made a huge difference, but... Just like it's crazy to think, like just the alignments, the matches that were put together yeah, were but, just yeah, better, 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 ma- better, better matchmaking. Everything was a lot was a lot better here. Yeah, and I, I and I did mention when we when we reviewed Bloodsport four that one of the things I felt like was missing was that kind of star attraction feel to it. And boy, did John Moxley and Davy Boy Smith bring that in spades in the main event. Yeah, but even down to like. Uh, I, I know Isaacs and, and Coughlin and uh and uh call and, and Calder um and call and Calder in the opener. Who yeah. who, who called the opener again? Bad Yeah, Jude Bad Jutito. Yeah. yeah, and and in super in uh Super Beast versus versus Cat versus Cal Jack. Like just in the matchmaking and just like adjusting it a little bit just made the show so much better. Even something like Nolan Edwards, where we talked about it on the last one, but I think that even though he served a very similar role and was in a similar matchup here, it's like it's compounding on itself because now you can see it's an intentional story. Like he is the, he's the underdog. He's the blood sport underdog guy who's going up against people that if he, if, you know, if this was a shoot MMA or something would be out of his weight class and he definitely wouldn't be going up against. So it's like, even that is like better on the second go round because you're, you know, you're compounding and you're building that story up. So yeah, like everything here, was just a little bit better um you talked about it and like you already said it the main event moxley and and davy boy and then i thought about it and i'm like all right let maybe we do this mma style because when uh whenever i hear podcasts where they review mma they always start with the main event so how do you feel about starting with the main event yeah i want to i wanted to it's uh, fresh in my mind yeah and like again it's a great match so yeah i'd love i'd love to uh, talk about this first yeah so um I mean, go go right ahead. What did you think? Yeah, I, lo- I love this. Obviously, Moxley in the last couple of years has transformed has transformed himself into feeling like this big, gigantic star. And you know, you'd feel like it, it might kind of wear off, but here it is, and John Moxley shows up in this setting like this again, and he still feels like such a gigantic deal. And he's bringing qualities that you still don't normally see on these type of bloodsport pseudo shoot style environment shows and automatically you know moxie can go on the mat moxie can look credible on the mat has the size technical acumen all that stuff the grittiness but he just brings a different feel to it you know seeing davy and seeing davy boy smith throw him throw him around and control him on the mat and ragdoll him and then eventually you see davy boy kind of regress in start playing john moxie's game and give to the grittier more fight based stuff with the headbutts and uh, punching him in the nose and grinding the forearm into a, into, the, into the cut on his face Every, everything about it was super well done and it's exactly what the, what Bloodsport from last week was missing it was missing that one match that felt like it was like the big cap off to like a big super fight card and John Moxley completely delivered that feeling and Davey Boy Smith was right there with him and this was one of my favorite Davey, Davey Boy Smith performances I've ever seen yeah I uh I have to agree with that, and I've been, I think, more lenient on Davy Boy Smith, even 
from the WWE days, I've liked him more than I think a lot of other people. But I'm with you that, that, that like having the best possible dance partner in here, it like made me think like, okay, is this what what uh, Josh Barnett sees? Because I hear Josh Barnett talk about Davey like he's the fucking pinnacle star, the best possible guy he can find to work what he wants to see in the blood sport style. You know what I mean? And then like you see the see this match and how good he is here, and it's like, okay, is this what Josh Barnett sees in every Davy Boy Smith match is like how good he could be with the right dance partner. Cause Moxley just yeah, I mean there's very very few wrestlers in wrestling right now who bring what Moxley brings to the table. And and I've been talking it up since the days when he was in WWE. You know, I this is not anything new, but to see it becoming realized is phenomenal because and, uh, you know, get the timer out. Let's see. Okay. I, within 10 minutes, I'm able to, to shit on uh, Brett Lauderdale. Um, but, like, <laughs> the way that Moxley feels dangerous and like a grown man. And I just feel that, like, he feels like a throwback to a different era. And something like GCW and them trying to, like, be, like, we're like CZW, which is like a knockoff of fucking, you know, uh, ECW and all this stuff where it's, like, trying to do it. But completely missing the point about it feeling like it's dangerous and grown up and it's gritty and and just doing the kind of only doing the violence part of it and really missing the details that make it worthwhile and moxley fucking gets it like you know moxley obviously is a czw guy and like you can see that difference between the people who actually understand what they're parodying and the people who are like just doing going through the motions of kind of the thing that they remember and they don't really understand even what the fucking point of what they're doing is and moxley gets it like i said he's you very few top guys in wrestling in a very long time have felt like how moxley feels right now which is like i said he feels like a man he feels like a a, a dangerous man he doesn't feel like you know he's being i, I mean you hate to i hate to jump on cena because cena is like pretty good but like cena came across like a cartoon character for kids you know, for the most part, and Moxley comes across like he's meant for adults. Um, and so, like, yeah, when he comes out here, and I love, I heard someone talk about it, and I agreed with it when I heard it, but him coming out to Hole was, like, a phenomenal, stupid little thing, another one of those things, but it really, like, gets the character across. So many guys are going to come out to metal and tough guy music and Slayer or Megadeth or whatever, and he's coming out to Hole, which is, like, heavy, but, you know, it's like a chick singer. It's like post-Riot Girl. It's, like you know, obviously not Riot Girl, but but definitely, like, you can tell that there's some, uh, there is some influence there. And it's like, yeah, like, that just, it kind of, it goes into that thing where, like, he's a throwback, but he's current. Like, John Moxley is the current version of that old school style. Um, the fight itself, I mean, you talked about it. Moxley comes across intense he understands the gravity of what he's in for he loves being in a fight josh barnett puts it over how much he loves being in a fight but then he's also cool and calm and that shows like it makes it make sense you can look at this and people can shit on him and maybe say that he doesn't look as technically proficient like you know saying that it doesn't make any sense that he would stand toe-to-toe with someone like you know bryant or bulldog jr here who uh davy boy smith jr i guess um like who you know has all this bjj background and has all this training and is also like taller than him bigger than him yeah, and like also, yeah, also like not, like not just all like extensively trained Dave boy smith jr is fucking gigantic yeah. he's a huge dude yeah so to to say like okay well moxley doesn't look like he should be able to wrestle and grapple around with him but 
when you show that he's got he's got the confidence he's cool in a fight that goes a long way in a fight honestly it really does and if you're tough and crazy and calm and stuff like when he gets thrown out of the ring and he just walks off he walks it off with like the he's demeanor not, he's, he, he's not he's not intimidated no he's not like, freaked that's, out that's like you know that's yeah. like the like like a big a giant part of a fight yeah it's like if you're in if you once you're into once you feel like you're intimidated like everything else every, every other part of that is going to go downhill oh yeah i mean they say constantly when when people talk about mma right they say you lose the the fight in your mind before you even step in the fucking octagon like you lose the fight upstairs before anything else when guys say like the, everyone loses their fucking retirement fight because the second you start to say that you're going to retire your mind is just checked out and you're not in the fight anymore and he's 100% in the fight so it makes it believable that he can do this and then yeah like he brings a brawling style he's a little bit more roughneck he's a little bit more pro wrestling he's a little bit more you know old school tough guy and he does stuff like the sharpshooter and giving the finger and winning with his fucking move, which I thought was great because he literally did a giant troll by by being on Observer Radio on an interview saying how when he was in WWE, every every uh, match had to lose with either like a distraction finish or, or you hit your move and that's it. And the great thing about Bloodsport is that the finish can come at any time. And then he wins the fucking match with his move. I was just like, this guy is just the greatest. Like... When he's doing the interview, the the show was probably already recorded, so he's just like completely, like you know, pointing out something dumb that's gonna happen, which was which was great. I thought it was really good. So yeah, this this match ruled. The star power is there. John Moxley is, I mean, he fits in anywhere you put him. Doesn't matter where he goes, he just works because he's just he feels real. He feels a hundred percent authentic at all times. Any 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 anything else really? Um... To add there, otherwise, uh, Jeff Cobb versus Jeff Cobb versus Tom Lawler. I uh, obviously both both with these dudes having their back, having their background. Of course, the mat work is going to look great and realistic. Main thing here, loved 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 the idea here for the finish of Cobb powering out of the arm work that Tom Lawler was doing throughout the match and just busting out a full strong ass full Nelson like yeah like that like, I, I thought that was great that's a move I miss in wrestling like I wish that I saw more of that I wish that you know someone like a Jeff Cobb did a full did a full Nelson and like you know had that as a finish and all that all that other cool stuff but it was really cool to see that finish and see a move like that used and using the setting yeah the setting and and the setup was perfect like you said because it seemed like they were telling the story the entire match that that and, and the commentary did a good job putting it over, too. I mean, uh, the submission game, the kind of more MMA-style stuff, like, Lawler was so much better at it. Even, like, like raining down the punches, positioning, all the stuff Lawler was, was much better at when it came to fight IQ. But Cobb is a phenomenal wrestler, grappler, and also strong as shit, and just never gave up. The big suplexes repeated suplexes and then the final one where like you said like i was saying like fight iq lawler's trying to counter it and in the middle of the suplex he gets you know he gets it off a little cattywampus because lawler's grabbing his arm and looking for the kimura in the middle of the suplex and he almost gets it locked in but cobb outpowers it and even after all the arm work he's still got enough strength there to lock in this big uh full nelson or, or maybe we should call it the hurt lock there quentin because i do think that there is somebody <laughs> using it on a uh, wwe tv right now um, but yeah, definitely wish that it was it was used a lot more, and hopefully it does. Hopefully this is a sign of things to come. But yeah, even still, with all the work that was done and all the build, it uh, Cobb is just such a freak with the strength that he was able to uh, 
to still bust out the uh, the big full Nelson there. So yeah, I I I thought that that was that was great as well. Great finish, and they they set it up the whole story, the whole match through. They set up telling that story, and this is what I think people there are people who maybe hear it talked about like storytelling and wrestling and think that it's just like people who are up their own ass like going over the top talking about this stuff and breaking down the minutia too much but a match like this where it's really very simple it's like so easy to see the story that's being told right and it's like stories are told even in real fights like if you pay attention to them and you get it but like yeah there's a story to this this match and it's there and it's the entire match builds to it so like this is the basic way that you can like really see what that means when people talk about stories being told in a match and it's like yeah like Cobb is Cobb is just really strong <laughs> he's a freak of nature he's a good grappling like old school like amateur style wrestler and he uses an amateur style wrestling move to get a submission which like normally wouldn't work but he's just so fucking strong that even after getting worked over and his arm especially getting worked over he's still able to pull it off um there's another one after this, or before this, I guess we're going reverse. Um, Dickinson Kratos, another one where like it's a better matchup between the two compared to what they had on number four because, like, to to try to show off Dickinson as a powerhouse guy, I think that this was a perfect person that he was able to um, to to have it make sense. Like he's he's showing off that he's a, like going over the top, throwing around a guy that's bigger than him, but he's also like more technically skilled. Um, that said, like this was not the best match on the show, but uh, but I thought that Dickinson looked better here than he did on the the, the previous on Bloodsport Four. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, even if I even though even though I did like Dickinson versus uh versus Cobb, I think that yeah, like now a lot a lot of, a lot of the time with Dickinson, I feel like he's across from somebody that's significantly better than him at something, uh, which is gonna be, which is gonna become more of a rarity now these days because yeah. Uh, scene is getting so dried up but it was nice to see Dickinson in a situation where he clearly is the better worker better guy in this setting and he wasn't getting shown up he felt like a credible viable threat in this setting and it made his stuff all look all that more impressive because Chris Dickinson can do or try to do his power stuff versus Jeff Cobb but Jeff Cobb is gonna go and do some power shit right back to him that looks right. even crazier yeah exactly but with Kratos it, it, the the threat isn't there as much, even if Cobb, even if Kratos might be a little bit bigger than Cobb. So I, from so from that standpoint, I I enjoyed the, I enjoyed this matchup a lot more too. Uh, I would say the most disappointing match on the card: uh, Rocky Romero versus Simon Grimm. Uh, I thought I thought this was a pretty I thought this was pretty uneventful. Uh, I was excited to see Rocky in a setting like this. Rocky didn't do much for me. Rocky didn't do much for me, but I feel like I still believe that Rocky could be better in this. Simon Grimm, I think I'm ready to just write him off. And he's impressed me a couple times in the past, but right now Simon Grimm just isn't doing it for me on these shows. Yeah, he's not doing great, but I will I will disagree with you in the sense that like this was to me this was a uh underachieving match but i thought an overachieving rocky performance as far as i was concerned and okay and i may have gotten myself like i may have like written rocky off and like just completely forgotten about that he has still been pretty good because i even mentioned that and then got kind of like had it referenced to me like oh yeah like what about the match that he had in the best of the super juniors just like 2019 and i was like oh yeah shit like he actually I think the El Fantasmo match was the direct reference, but he actually had a bunch of good matches in the 2019 Best of the Super Juniors. 
um, when I thought about it. So I was like, oh yeah, I forgot that Rocky was actually still pretty good even recently, but I thought that this was one of the better singular one match performances I've seen from Rocky in a long time. And I think it is, like I said, because I, I've, I may have like underestimated how good he still is just because of how much it feels like he doesn't do much. But I thought that he, again, he's, he's well-trained in this style. He's been, you know, like Josh Barnett even put it over that he was, Josh Barnett was part of his training and he forget like, oh yeah, Rocky used to do this kind of stuff a lot more and he could, he still can do it really well. And he was much better than Grimm here. And Grimm just, I don't know what it is, but the guy is just, in these blood sports is just not showing it. And maybe, you know, maybe he had a long layoff because of coronavirus stuff. Maybe he's not in the top shape. I don't fucking know what it is, but he's just not hitting at all for me. And I'm just not really interested even slightly in, uh, in his matches. But this next match you put over already or referenced already, um, Royce Isaacs versus, uh, Coughlin. Um, yeah, I thought that this was, Oh, go ahead. Love this. Love this. Love this. Yeah. I thought that Royce Isaacs looked fantastic here i thought that the fighting young lion was like underdog fire from coglin was great here the the kind of upsetness that he brought towards the end you could really feel it like i think that he did not expect this i i well i've never heard it before but you know like the idea that coglin i can't remember they said some ivy league school but that royce isaacs was a collegiate wrestler at an ivy league school i can't remember which one they said um but uh, that was like shocking i'm like oh damn okay well i guess it makes a little bit more sense why he's so good at this uh, when seemingly he didn't feel like there was any like reason to believe that he would be good in the blood sport setting is because he's uh, got like top level amateur background but yeah I mean the trading back and forth between these guys was, was so quick these guys were like really built to be in a matchup against each other size wise it's like one of the few <laughs> matches on the show where it feels like these both these guys would be in the right weight division with each other um, and yeah just the trading back and forth I mean they did such a good job in this match of, of going hold for hold with each other and having it be like a major struggle nothing looked like easy it didn't look like they were just like easily going back and forth but they were definitely grappling around with each other the fucking um uh texas cloverleaf was insane the doctor bomb the single leg crab like bringing in some of that stuff like there was a lot of awesome some, shit here. Some, some of the some of the some of the power stuff in here was crazy uh uh, co- uh, uh coglin like his he, he was he's really he's really smooth the yeah uh the, the throws are good. Everything about this was just as good as you want it to be. Like this could have been on like uh, on one, on one of the early Mania Weekend Bloodsport shows. Yeah. And I went about and I went about it and I went about it tonight. That's how good it was. That's how much it fit in. And that's what we were saying before. It's like like you know that they have a good show in them. For some reason, Bloodsport Four just didn't work. And there's a perfect example. Like the talent is there. Coglin and Isaac. This is right there. And honestly, other than other than. Grim versus Rocky. This was a really good show. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I don't know. Anything else you want to say about this one? Uh, no, just yeah. I'm. I, re- I really, I really like Coglin. I'm, I'm curious to see what he's gonna, what he's gonna do uh, when or if he comes back to New Japan. Uh, you know, in Japan, uh, and obviously, you know that strong. You know, was part of part of his development. But I'm curious to see what what uh, what they're gonna do with him when he comes back to Japan. I think he's pretty polished and good already. And Isaac's, I'm, I, I like this Isaac's guy a lot, man. Yeah, I mean, to me, he was not, not someone that I was like, insanely high on. I liked some of his stuff in NWA. I definitely think that my opinion of him was colored a little bit by unfor- being unfortunately in a tag team with someone who I dislike not just as a wrestler but also as a person. Um, but yeah, like now seeing him in this setting, I'm like, okay, like I, I see him and I can definitely get into him more. We'll see. 
um, if he can translate some of this, because that's another thing that kind of happens sometimes when you start to see these people who get on a roll in these shoot style stuff, is that they start to realize like, yeah, why why don't I do more of this in my wrestling? You kind of saw it with oh, actually, I'm not even gonna say who, um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, you definitely see that sometimes where people start to realize like in the context of a worked match, I can do some of the stuff that I remember from my kind of legitimate background. I can bring that into my wrestling, you know, because. I do think that some people follow the rules, you know, they go to wrestling school and they're trained the way that you do wrestling school stuff and everyone, like, especially now it becomes so, this is the way that you wrestle and this is the way that you work so that, like, so that WWE will be interested in you, especially you have to, you know, take every move this way and you have to bump this way and you do your headlocks, you know, this way and all that stuff and they just follow that and then they don't go out of the box and think like, well, I mean, fuck, I know how to do all this other cool shit from, like, grappling or or look at someone like Speedball, like Taekwondo. Like, bring that shit into the ring. Make it work in the context of a wrestling match if you can. And, you know, mm-hmm. leave some of the other shit on the cutting room floor, the stuff that looks a little bit too goofy that you see sometimes. But, yeah, as much as you can. Um, Super Beast versus Cal Jack. Uh, another one that feels close to it would be, like, a good they'd be in the same weight class and i do think that that might be part of why this show worked better is like i do think there is something to like obviously when it's worked shoot fighting you can do super fights or open weight kind of challenge stuff more easily than you could in a real shoot fight because of just the fact that in a shoot fight the size difference makes a difference right like enough to where it's just not worth doing and also some commissions won't sanction the fights but I do think that yeah, like it's like 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 literally like weight classes and shit like that exist in order to make like competition fair. Right, and I do think that even in a worked setting like a shoot style show, I think that you should keep that stuff to a minimum still, because like it's the whole point of working stuff. It make it special, use it when it means something, and build it up. And so this show, I do think that there probably is something to the fact that this show feels better and was better overall because a lot of these fights were closer to shoot weight classes like the people would be in the same weight classes there's a couple fights that weren't but for the most part they were and the and the fights where they were were like a lot better for it and this is one of those this felt a lot less like a squash than the last cal jack but you still came away with it feeling like cal jack is definitely dominant super beast got to show off some cool stuff because he was in there against someone the same size as him or even a little bit bigger than him which he doesn't always probably get to wrestle people bigger than him and like throwing those big crazy kicks and all that stuff like it was a little bit goofy and shoot style setting but it was kind of cool so super beast again a guy who i did not expect much from in this setting um because of what i had seen from him on the in the california indies in pro style but uh, a guy who's definitely i i like him in this setting and cal jack continues to be someone who i'm definitely impressed with uh his size and in the shoot style i think he's like perfect for blood sport honestly and i really like him here and i don't know how much i would like him as a pro wrestler but uh this felt just like a big man fight they they really kept it for the most part it's weird to say basic in a match that has big you know spinning kicks but they kept it like they did a couple big spots and then everything else was like kind of just basic transitions and working holds and didn't do a bunch else so so it wasn't like the um the Coglin isaacs fight where there was a lot of back and forth and and trading and grappling and stuff you know it was a lot more kind of fireworks and then kind of um, in between and that for was for sure cal jack I, I i came i came away with this more impressed with cal jack than i did uh in the in the nolan in the nolan uh nolan match uh Super Beast still looks good. I still really enjoy the stuff we get from him and 
him being that size and so and so jacked up and still able to do cool shit like that tornado kick. But Caljack just looks like a monster, especially when he that that gut wrench and the way he lifted him up and threw him so effortlessly. Loved loved every loved every bit of that. Uh, Caljack, they clearly like him, and if Bloodsport is going to continue to have its own kind of like contained universe and stories, I would love to see like what they're trying to build towards with Caljack. Yeah, definitely. Because, I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously Barnett likes him because he's so he's got some legitimacy to him, right? Like he talks about that he's like trained with Olympic uh, wrestlers and stuff, so it's like, of course he's going to see that there's something there to exploit. So, but but what's the plan? That's the interesting thing. What is the plan? Like, how much does he see in him? How much like does he see him as a guy that you're building to make something bigger? Is he a guy that you're building to make somebody else? Like it's it's going to be interesting to see where they go. Um, all right. So before that. We get uh, Hands of Steel, Calvin Tankman, um, or Hands of Stone, and uh, he's going up against, and I thought about it, and I talked about how he's clearly the underdog, and they're positioning him as the Bloodsport underdog, Nolan Edward, and now that Blake Christian is signed to WWE, someone's got to take up the mantle, so we've got all heart Nolan Edwards uh, here, because oh, <laughs> someone always has to have that nickname. There's no way that on the u.s indies there can't be at least one person who has the all heart nickname it's 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 the rules of of uh u.s well, indies was that was that eddie was that eddie edwards nickname uh no eddie eddie edwards was uh hard no uh die hard are you sure are, okay yeah, all right. I'll, die I'll, hard eddie edwards but it was uh uh gargano all heart johnny gargano oh and then yeah, as okay. soon as he so, was in so, nxt blake christian starts using it jesus christ <laughs> <laughs> so now that he, now that Blake Christian's in NXT, I think Nolan Edwards is the new All Heart. Um, but at least in Bloodsport, because yeah, they he's going up against against a bigger man again here, um, with Calvin Tankman. But uh, yeah, Quentin, what did you think of this one? Again, Nolan Edwards is great being in the position to get just get his ass kicked by bigger people than him. He has the great sub uh, insubordinate punk thing going on. I will say I probably like the Caljack match more. In terms of performance from him, I think Cal- I think Calvin Tankman just beat the shit out of beat the shit beat the shit out of him in a way that kind of made Nolan Edward look like he wasn't even supposed to be in a ring with him. Like at least like at least Caljack, it was more so throwing him around and th- and make and him being a ragdoll because Caljack is so big and strong. Calvin Tankman just outstruck him in a way that made Nolan Edward look real amateurish, like. It came across to me like no nowhere to shouldn't even be in the ring. There is so, there is something to that that like the big throws can look like this guy's just strong, but like when someone outclasses someone in striking, um, it does it just makes them look like you said it like it's demoralizing. It makes them look embarrassing. Yeah. It's like it, they're embarrassed by it. It's um, I was trying to think of like who's a good example. Like I mean, obviously Mike Tyson comes to mind every time. Like when he would just knock somebody out in a couple seconds, it would always be like just in like kind of demoralizing. But like you know, there's a lot of guys who historically can do that. Um, I'm trying to think, who the fuck was it who used to always put their hands down? They would like never block. Um, anyways, but yeah, keep Machida? going. Um, yes. No, how Machida are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He like always put his fucking yeah. hands down because it was just, and it's just. It's again like it's embarrassing because it's like I don't even have to cover up because like you got nothing on me when it comes to like hands and it's like that shit can just be embarrassing and yes that was like definitely the story being told here. Yeah, so I don't know. I still I still enjoyed it. I like obviously Nolan Edward getting the shit kicked out of him is going to become a 
uh, a, a pretty a pretty uh, good genre around around here as that's what he's good that's what he's good at doing. But yeah, I came I came across him just feeling like uh, they could have went they could have went in a di- different direction or they didn't make Nolan, Nolan Edward look so bad there. Calvin Tankman looked great. You know, I think that Calvin Tankman really should be the face of this thing. I would love to see Calvin. Uh, have they done Calvin Tankman versus Cowjack yet? No, and I hope that they're building to it because yeah, that'd be amazing. Yeah, like I feel like that should be like the end game here, and Calvin Tankman look great. But I would like to see if they can find a way to make Nolan Edward look more credible in a situation like this. Maybe replace him with somebody that is more credible in a situation like this, like a Lee Moriarty, because Nolan Edward just in this situation felt like he did not belong in the ring at all. Yeah, it was it was definitely a rough one for him. Um, he he. Like I said, comes across super outclassed. It's, like, a little bit embarrassing to see. But, again, like, in the larger narrative scope of, like, okay, clearly he's meant to be the blood sport underdog, it does become a little bit intriguing to me to see where do they go. And I hope that they – I kind of hope that they go somewhere because I don't want it to just be, like, he got outclassed two times in a row, like, and then is just sent packing. But that could also be it. I mean, we'll see. Like, I don't really know what the – we don't know what the plan is big picture for any of it. Like who knows if they do something similar to this more often where they have people who come in for like a set of tapings or one or two shows and just is, if they don't look good, they're gone because like that is kind of realistic when it comes to MMA, especially like the big companies like UFC, right? What is the, what's the like kind of unwritten rule? If you lose three fights in a row in UFC, you're basically gone. It's like kind of like, yeah, it's like stuff like that where it's like, if you lose this many fights, you're kind of like, they're just going to get rid of you. Um, so we'll see. But yeah, Tankman, I mean, Tankman's the standout here. And I would love to see them do something with Tankman because, like, he doesn't fit the mold of, I think, what you think of, or at least I think of, of, like, what Josh Barnett would like. But he also so does. <laughs> like, it, when it comes time for the, the fights, like, he's so legitimate. He's so credible. And he comes across like this big badass who referenced it earlier, but like being like the Vader. And I think one thing that I loved here and it obviously gets overshadowed with the kind of stuff that happens later, especially with the finish of the main event. But the, the big power slam that he did, like to me looked very reminiscent of the fire thunder driver, which, which Tankman uses as a finishing move in wrestling matches. Like it was like kind of an over the shoulder power slam, but it was also kind of like the fire thunder driver. So he kind of incorporated a version of his, you know, pro wrestling finisher into a shoot style setting and that's the kind of shit that i love to see when guys are doing the shoot style stuff where they can they can make stuff that feels reminiscent of their pro style stuff so that they can then lend this credibility into their pro stuff i really fucking hate when you see people who all they do is like have they wrestle just completely different in the shoot style and then when they go back to pro wrestling they just wrestle like you know how they do in pro wrestling and to me it's like now what you're doing is you're I, I talked about this with Jeff Cobb years and years ago, but it was like kind of different, which was the Matanza thing. I feel like if you separate different parts of your wrestling career too much to where they just can feel completely different, like you don't get credit for both things. And then so then the fans and the people who watch you don't like think of you as the same person. And I think that that can happen if you like wrestle completely different in the shoot style setting and then your pro setting, like then when people are seeing you, you're not getting the credit that you deserve for the stuff that you do in the shoot style setting because people are thinking of it as two different things. So like having that little bit of crossover where he does very similar moves 
in in the shoot style setting, I think helps to bring that credibility from here back to into his wrestling. Um, mm. So I just I think that 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 was a cool little detail, and hopefully he he keeps that up. But yeah, Calvin Tankman coming out of these two shows, I think is the guy who already was feeling like a rising star has risen his stock even more, and is a guy who I'm just like, I don't want it to happen, but I'm shocked that no one signed him yet except for MLW because. He's just, there's something there for sure. And with the way that they just signed everybody, why the fuck not? Why would no one have signed him yet? Yeah, I mean, I, I can only, ima- I can only like, imagine it might be, like, some kind of, like, body image thing. Like, only, 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 thing I, only thing I can imagine. Because, like, that's a young guy that has size, is athletic, very very clearly charismatic, like, is a better wrestler than yeah. the majority of people that just got signed and swept up recently. So... I, I don't know, but hopefully we get we get a little bit more time with Calvin Tankman before yeah you know everything but everything starts being fun. <laughs> no, definitely, I don't want him to get signed, but I just I think it's crazy that he hasn't just based on his quality compared to people who have gotten signed recently. But yeah, and then the opener of the of the show was uh, Calder McCool McCall versus Bad Dude Tito. McCall, like you said, looked better here than he did in the the last show. Tito also looked good here. Um, Tito, I think, is a guy who could who definitely fits into the style, and I didn't expect it as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, this was the opener. Clearly, I think they're doing something with Calder. Um, I think that he's a Barnett guy. But uh, yeah, any thoughts on this one, Quentin? Uh, not not a lot here. Again, just a better matchup. I felt like for Bo, uh, for at least, at least for at least on Calder, at least on Calder's end, super, uh, bad dude Tito has looked good on both of these shows, and. Yeah, I, I came away with this. I just want, I, I like seeing bad dude Tito matches. I want to see him get to do more cool stuff. Calder McCall is good, and I can see him developing more and being someone they keep around for the for these type of shows. But bad dude Tito is someone that I'm I, I, I like what he brings. He's fun. He's good at he's good at this. He's not like one of the he doesn't feel like one of the freak show guys that they would bring in before. For other blood for other blood sports and just didn't just didn't fit in at all he's he, he works here I, I like him yeah it seems like barnett's doing a good job of keeping primarily like guys who are are good enough to actually go as the people that he brings in even someone like super beast who's like a freak show guy really just because he wears a mask but like when the bell rings there's like no reason why he doesn't fit in you know what i mean there's nobody there's not a lot of people who are on the cards just because it's like oh wow isn't it crazy that this person's doing a shoot fight you know right um so yeah so that's i guess that's it for Josh Barnett um like i said a ton of stuff has actually happened like i you know was excited to talk about what does it mean for Jake Lee and, and Ashino double turn, right? Um, uh, Shima winning the fucking All Japan Juniors Championship and stuff going on in DDT, but like realistically, like I said, don't want to get like too into odds and ends and stuff here. But is there any little things you wanna wanna mention or talk about before we go into the main topic for the evening? Uh. Nothing if you're ever ready to uh, jump into it. Yeah, so like you mentioned, we want to let people know this is the time if you're sensitive to like topics about basically any kind of, I don't know, sexual assault, um, even just like sexual transgressions, stuff like that. This is kind of the trigger warning of the episode. You can turn it off and we will not be upset. Um, but yeah, we're going to get into like 
everything. A lot of stuff that relates back to the speaking out movement. Um, specifically, a lot of stuff when it comes to the most recent progress show that uh, was just on the WWE Network, right? Um, yeah. There's obviously some other reference, some other stuff to talk about when it comes to like New Japan Strong and people that were backstage there. So uh, definitely some interesting stuff. Um, Quentin, did you watch any of the Progress show that just happened? Or was just aired? I guess it didn't happen just recently. I did not. I said before, I'm not sure if I said it on air to you, but like I liked most of the talent that was announced for the Natural Progression series. Um, so I did, so I did, so I did consider like seeing, you know, like, you know, like skimming through it and everything. But then as I saw that they continued to not answer the Paul Robinson question, mm-hmm. they like took my attention away from checking out the show. Yeah. I watched the whole show. I don't really care to talk about it except for the fact that like having watched the show, the, the, the best wrestler and the best performer on the show was probably Millie McKenzie. And when it comes to the big picture of everything else that's going on, that's kind of an interesting thing to think about because she just got announced as signing to, to NXT UK. And she also like was a big part of the speaking out movement. And the person that she called out just got released from NXT UK, like a little while before behind, I guess it was like kept kind of quiet and I saw people just recently in in the Slack chat talking about that. Who actually got fired, you know, from the thing. And, and it was referenced like Jack Gallagher, right? But that was at the very beginning. And that was his own doing because he... Basically, the way that I heard the story, when his story was posted online, he went to management and admitted that it was, like, basically true. His story, in the grand scheme of things, I don't want to say was tame but it wasn't like one of the worst it was very bad but he did but because he came to management admitted it he got fired publicly and it was posted online and i think even he may have made a statement and then that was it but travis banks was released quietly and i don't know that it was ever posted anywhere online and i've only ever seen it referenced like as a yes he's gone but it was never public and then he wrestled i think a couple matches for like riptide or something um after he was already let go and and it's like okay so it is interesting like like i said it's it's it kind of fits into the weird narrative of the whole thing that like this fucking show the best wrestler who had the best singular performance on their own on the show was probably Millie McKenzie and she's also just signed to WWE NXT UK and her abuser was just released from the company privately um, or you know quietly so yeah just uh, very very interesting when you then look at this show as in the grand picture the grand scheme of things because as you said as the show was going on on the network not um, not live everything was recorded so anything that happened or anyone that was involved with the show could very easily be like said, it could just be out there in the open. Nobody was in the building. It wasn't as if they were busy. They could have just answered the question. Was anyone backstage involved in this show that was called out, had accusations, anything? And there was basically radio silence. Um, keep in mind, keep in mind, I want to say, they also got asked this for days in advance. For at least yes. three or four days, people were asking them directly 
is Paul Robinson involved in these shows? And they would not answer to any of these questions. They like they got asked this straight up for days and refused to even acknowledge these. And of course, you know, they put a wrestler in charge of the Twitter account the day of the show, so Gene Money is in there live tweeting and doing the best he can to ignore all the tweets that are coming in regarding regarding a situation that shouldn't really be falling on him, the person who's just trying to live tweet live, live tweet the show the the, the the show he's a part of. Which is it's kind of funny because I made a it was like an offhanded reference to that in the Slack chat when we were having a conversation about it. But I just saw the progress account tweet like. I've been informed that I can't tweet about Gene Money for Super Strong South 16 or whatever. And so then when I said, like, oh, you know, why is it up to Gene Money to, to or whoever is running the Twitter to tweet? I didn't know it was actually Gene Money running the Twitter. <laughs> like, I was, I thought that that was just the, the whoever was running the social media making a joke. But yeah, they have one of the fucking wrestlers from the show is running the Twitter for the for the live tweet during the thing, which is ridiculous. Why the fuck are they doing that? Like, this is supposedly a professional company. I'm sorry, but you can have separate social media people um, to do this kind of stuff where that's their job. On top of that, the tweet that I'm referencing where he tweeted out about the, you know, not being allowed to tweet about Gene Money was like, I don't know, maybe he thought it was in good spirits or it was funny. But at the time when you're literally being told that there's things you can't talk about, don't make a fucking troll tweet on the official account for the the company saying like i've been told that i can't talk about you know setting it up and then doing the misdirect joke about that i can't talk about this thing that pertains to myself like that was so fucking bad that was so unprofessional and just disgusting like really it just shows the nature of the fucking like the and i don't know gene money i don't know the guy at all personally i've never even fucking seen this person wrestle before but in because that to, context, because to, to me, if he's on the account, in like you know, either way, if you're doing it from TweetDeck, your phone, your computer, you see all these notifications coming in asking yes. you these fucking questions. Yes. So you don't, that's so tacky. That's not. It's not even fucking tacky. It's disgusting because you're making like a. Maybe it didn't cross your mind that you're making a joke on that. You think it's something else. You, whatever you think it is, just directly. But then that shows like a a fucking, like a. I don't, I'm trying to not be mean, but that shows like a mental disconnect that you have that makes me believe that this company shouldn't have trusted you to be in charge of their social media, which again goes back to, this is a big company that's backed by a gigantic company. Why the fuck do they have just one of the talent, one of the wrestlers running the Twitter? They should have an actual PR person, a social media person. Well, 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 well at least for this show, they had, they had Gene Money running the Twitter. I don't know. I don't know if that's the thing that they that, that's been going on the entire time. I don't believe so. Sure, At sure. least for the live tweeting of that event, it was Gene Money. Why? I'm not. I, my. I guess my, my. Uh, my point is not like about, like in general. My point is specifically this, but also like in general. Yes, like that. There should never be a point where just one of the talent is in charge of running the social media account. Is is kind of my point especially when it's someone who shows that they lack the maturity level to put those things together that when you are being bombarded with questions about something serious that people are are like actually concerned about 
to take that and turn it into a joke or to overlook it and not think that the joke you're making could relate back to that. It shows a lack of, of, of like a social IQ, I guess would be the word, that then, like I said, means that that person shouldn't ever, in any situation, even if it is just during the show, be in charge of your social media. <laughs> like the word, if you don't have the social IQ to understand that this was not the time for anything that referenced that kind of joke, then you shouldn't run a social media account for the for the company. Right? I mean, does that make sense? No, I'm, to- I'm, to- I'm totally with you on everything there. I just think that it shows even, like, getting even getting, getting kind of getting into the first statement, how they were trying to, like, kind of pass off blame to the talent. Like, yeah. the, whoever runs the social media uh, account knew for days in advance what was going on here. They knew that. They've been getting bombarded with Paul Robinson tweets for days. So the fact that you then passed that off for a wrestler to run that account the day of the event and just tweet through it as if nothing is happening. And then you put out a statement pretty much saying, well, we did a wrestler, you know, we did a vetting process, you know, led by the wrestlers and the wrestlers were okay with X, Y, and Z. Like already you set the wheels in motion for a circuit for like preparing yourself for a scenario where you're going to throw the wrestlers under, uh, wrestlers under, under the bus. There's pretty, there's pretty much everything that happened yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's. I. Okay. Okay. Let's... Okay. I guess. Yeah. So, what do right, we want to do? Uh, Get into it. You can't talk about transparency and safeguarding and wanting to make things better and make things safe. And I understand that. At first, you might you might, might want to give the benefit of the doubt, like, huh, you know, there was a bunch of accusations, like maybe Paul Robinson's could have sl- could have so you know snuck through the cracks because there were so many of them, and you know, comparatively, despite you know, I feel like that, like, you know, kind of like diminishes, you know, the severity of what he did. That comparatively, maybe wasn't as bad as other thing as other stories that were put out. That maybe you could forget. That Paul Robinson was named during speaking out. But then when you get the second statement that says that they were aware of this and that they reached out or whatever to try to figure this out, they didn't get their response back or an email back regarding Paul, so they just used him anyway. So you're telling me that you that you knew of Paul Robinson's accusations. And you still decided to use him and then put the wrestlers in a position where you make it seem like they're the ones that made the decision on him. Where if you're so about transparency, like, you should have just taken accountability for that. Not just keep trying to pass it off like, oh, well, they didn't email us back. Or we had a, we had a, we, uh, we had, we had this vetting process, a safeguarding, safeguarding process, and the wrestlers decided they didn't feel, you know, threatened or harmed or whatever and it's just like like what are you guys talking about here what are you getting at you know even trying to start off a process that way a process that like should be led in gaining trust back in the first place that like you lack the self-awareness to even realize that booking someone that was named and speaking out 
probably shouldn't be your priority. You should probably just go in a different direction, despite how much you may like Paul Robinson. Despite the fact you may think Paul Robinson isn't the worst person in the world, you should have enough awareness to realize, hey, you know what? We're not even a year removed from that. There's a lot of pain, a lot of hurt, frustration, feelings of betrayal, anger, uh, that we need to work, that we need to be able to mend if we want to kind of like, you know, quote unquote, bring this community back. And you, and you fucking blew that in your first weekend. You blew any chance of that in your first weekend because you decided that it would, that it would, like Paul Robinson, <laughs> guy accused of fucking grooming Ugh. a 16, a 16 year old, a 16 year old girl, no matter how severe you want to say it was, that he was worth that. You could have just not fucking used him. And obviously, like, we're talking about people like me and you here that believe in, like, restorative or transformative justice. But, like, restorative and transformative justice can't happen without 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 survivors or people that are concerned, you know, after stories of abuse, feeling safe. That shit can't happen without people feeling safe, without some kind of reconciliation, without some kind of, like, giving the people the resources to feel comfortable and safe again after shit like that. That can't happen when you jump to fucking step seven and now you want to just book paul robinson as if nothing as if nothing was going on this is the opposite of and you knew about it like you and you knew about it like this is the opposite of any kind of restorative justice though like even if you want to say like me and you believe in something like that and don't believe in it i I, I was saying it because it's like i feel like when they when they're using shit like safeguarding and this and that they're clearly like a like trying Trying to to approach it and, and yeah, in, in like a half-assed restorative justice sense, like that's like so. That's why it's like, even for us who believe in that kind of shit, like we're able to look at it and like, no, like you no. fucking did it completely wrong from the beginning. Well, this is the thing that fucking drive. It's very recently starting to drive me crazy. Is that I see people, like especially like really bad fucking right-leaning conservative and even like alt-right-leaning people who are like just you know, you know, call a spade a spade, fucking racists basically, and just like fucking insane bigots where they they just equate leftism and even like you know prison abolitionist people with like id poll people and it's like no like this idea where all you have to do is appropriate the language and like kind of give this false like showing of the identity out in the open is enough is not the same (laughs) like me and you who actually believe in this thing can on its face see that this is not what's happening this is like only paying lip service and trying to make it look like that by appropriating the language but that's not it so like people who are like realistically the people who are into id poll stuff are like uh, actually like just the the regular liberty like lib people like you know liberal people and like basically the mainstream of the democratic like american democratic party which is a right-wing political party. It's crazy to say that in America as far as people are concerned, but it really is. Like, the the American Democrats are a center-right political party, and the Republicans are like a far-right party. So to equate ID poll with leftism is basically just, like, completely missing the fucking point. And, and yeah, so that's, like, driving me crazy because people think, like, oh, yeah, they're, you know, they're, they're saying this stuff and that's, you know, that means that, and it's like, no, like, me, me and you, who are actually on the left, don't see it that way. <laughs> We're not, like, okay with this just because they said that. And as I'm, like, pointing out or like starting to say, like, this is the opposite of restorative justice because the point of restorative justice is to have this stuff out in the open and dealt with 
by a community and by the people involved, and they they were intentionally obscuring and trying to hide you, Paul Robinson. You can't fucking restore anything without restoring it with the people that you hurt. Right. The wrestlers weren't fucking hurt here. And it has the to be in the people, open. <laughs> you're hiding him. People, the wrestlers, the wrestlers that you're talking about, the wrestlers that are in your lot, that are in your locker room, they're not the ones that are hurt by that. You know, people are so fucking hurt by the by the European wrestling scene in the speaking out movement that happened is because a lot of people found comfort in home and solace and solidarity and friendship and relationships and meaning to a lot of shit that they couldn't find anywhere else. They found it in that wrestling scene. A lot of people who belong to marginalized groups, a lot of people who don't who feel like they don't belong in a lot of different places. They felt like they belonged there. They felt like they had a home. They could like they felt like they had a community there. They're the ones that are hurt by this, yeah. not the fucking wrestlers. You can't sit there and talk about protecting the wrestlers' identities and protecting this and all this fucking kayfabe bullshit when they're not the ones that were hurt by this. I'm sorry that your wrestling scene that just got popular eight years ago is now going to have to do some serious looking in the mirror and rebuilding, but you're not the ones that are hurting now. It's not about them. It's not about the wrestlers. It's about the community, the thousands of people that put your trust, that put their trust and faith in you and your product and consumed everything and went to your shows and sold out every fucking venue that you went to that bought everything bought some bought the merch did everything that they could to support you because they feel like they were a part of something and the trust that you broke you deserve to be transparent with them not the fucking wrestlers and i was thinking about it because we're talking about the wrestlers repeatedly here and i was looking through the roster of who was on this show and and we'll see the more shows because i think that they even posted something where it was like chapter 104 through chapter 108 are all basically happened at the same tapings i think don't quote me on that it might be through 106 it might be whatever but there was a statement and they said which chapters it was that paul robinson's was there they've all been taped so we can see what the full roster of people were there as it goes through but you look at this roster of people that were there and I was thinking, oh, okay, who who out of these people could actually speak up and feel comfortable that they could say something? But then th- there's no fucking point to that. That doesn't cross my mind, and there's no reason to even get into that, like, politics of who could, who couldn't, whatever. We don't need to point fingers and blame the wrestlers. Again, I don't... I'm 100% on your side of this that, like, the wrestlers are not the ones who should be the judge and jury or the jury of this. And I also don't think that, like, it's fair for me or you to point fingers at the wrestlers for not speaking up because it's a tough situation for them. Oh, absolutely not here. But, like, that, but like what, I'm get, what I'm getting at is, like, in their statement, they're talking about protecting transparency yes. of, people that, of, people that were, of people that were decision makers. It's like, they're the ones that fucking deserve transparency? They're the ones that deserve, that deserve like, accountability and truthfulness and honesty in the face of hundreds of people? coming out about coming out about sexual abuse stories like it's, it's more so that i don't blame the wrestlers at all so many of them younger newer talent that in a way like they like they like progress put them in line to take they'll take the blame for their for for their like stupid lacking of self-awareness decision but the idea that the wrestlers are the ones that needed to be protected here yeah it just blows my mind like they would know what would be warrant speaking up and like that they would they should have been the ones to have to speak up it's like 
ludicrous on its face. But as I was thinking about that, and I was looking up and down this roster of people that were on this show, it crossed my mind that after speaking out, it felt like a lot of people were called out. It felt like it's really, you know, the entire UK wrestling scene at times. It feels like that because there's so many big names and there's so many big stories. And even before speaking out, there was stuff that came out. Like... The stuff with Scotty Wainwright and, and Osprey and all that stuff happened before Speaking Out. It came back up during Speaking Out. The stuff with um, James Davis. That stuff happened before Speaking Out was like came up initially. There had been whispers of other wrestlers and other people with inappropriate stuff that had come out before. Either way, it was really easy to think, God, there's just nothing... There's nobody left in the UK scene. Everybody's tainted. And in some ways, there's like guilt by association and there's Whisper Network. Everyone knew and they didn't say anything. And, and you know, you can you can moralize about that as much as you want. And I think that that word has a negative connotation that I don't mean when I say this, but you can say that. You can like pick that apart and all that stuff. But I looked at this list and there's 18, almost, you know, almost 20 wrestlers on this show. There's multiple more shows that will come out that will probably have even more wrestlers that aren't on this show and when it comes down to it none of them were called out during speaking out none of them have direct accusations so the idea that the uk wrestling scene is completely barren and there's nobody left who hasn't been called out by speaking out is a major exaggeration they were able to have this card with talent that me and you both said on paper we like, you know. On paper, there's a lot of stuff that would be interesting to see here. And they were able to fill out this card with 18 wrestlers who had no accusations during speaking out. So why did they need Paul Robinson? The scene is not as barren as to say that there was nobody that could fill that, that hole. You can say... Well, NXT UK and so many wrestlers are signed to WWE now that, you know, the, the, they, they, they don't have... But this company is running a show that's on the WWE network and has connections to WWE. If they truly needed someone and they just didn't have the people available, they could have easily reached out to WWE and asked for an agent? For someone backstage? How many people are on WWE payroll who live in England who basically work once a month to do NXT UK tapings that they could ask, hey, can you go down to this progress taping and agent some matches? Not even just, like, whoever, any wrestler. Flash Morgan Webster, let's say, who does agenting on NXT UK already. Hey, go agent... This progress show. He's done agenting on progress shows in the past. Or Johnny Saint. Hey, Johnny Saint, you get paid to do almost nothing. Why don't you go down there? You know, like, it's fucking not as if... No, like, fucking Gnome Dar doing nothing. Like, hey, Gnome, you worked progress before. How about you go over there and just help, just help out with the young talent for, for, for a little bit? There, so to say that the scene is just so depleted that there was no option is ludicrous. Again, on its face... Like I said, this entire show was booked with nearly 20 wrestlers, none of which had allegations. And there's going to be more shows down the line, and I guarantee 
that none of those shows have wrestlers on the main cards that have allegations that stem from speaking out or in general even before speaking out because as I just referenced there was a bunch of allegations even before speaking out but Paul Robinson was a bridge too far and the guy that they just couldn't cut for some reason he had to be there and that's like why why I didn't want to get into the Paul Robinson why thing but you kind of started it but yeah like why is this the hill that you fucking die on Paul Robinson of all people it's not as if it's impossible to find somebody that could have filled that role, even just for the day. This feels like the point is, Progress Wrestling, whoever is in charge of it now, on paper, it's just John Briley, right? Wants to send the message to the fans that we run the show, we make the decisions, and if we say it's okay, it's okay. And he's going to be here. Uh. And it's obviously not the statements they put out just increasingly got worse as you know as they're saying them without saying them that pretty much like they knew like they knew about this they knew about Robinson they knew about the Robinson stuff only the reason he didn't even the only reason he didn't work was for other conflicts the fact that Robinson chose to walk away is what they worded it and they didn't even fire Paul Robinson or say that it was a mutual separation or that we part away with Paul Robinson nothing they said that Paul Robinson walked away from them it's so much so much here the optics of it are so fucking bad but you know what progress somehow isn't aren't the worst people involved in this and I'll tell you why right the people and this goes from the fucking fight TV people fucking Brett Lauderdale all the wrestle joy fucking weirdos that just wanna oh why why are you so busy trying to tear down wrestling why can't we just enjoy it and all that other shit these people are the reason why we can't actually move forward and progress something because they're too concerned about cons- about about consuming their mediocre about their mediocre ravaged fucking wrestling content than the fact that hundreds of people came forward with abuse stories. And you're mad at the fans who want accountability for the fact that there is abusers, rapists, racists, misogynistic, evil people, people that take advantage of and exploit talent running rampant through wrestling, and you're mad at us because we don't want that in wrestling. Because we're not just satisfied with you know, making some tweets about it and then just forgetting it, that we want actual meaningful changes to occur. I'm sorry that it's that I'm sorry that in that it like that and, and when he hasn't even been a year that you want people to just shut the fuck up about speaking out. I'm sorry that you just want people to shut up about abusers, about rapists, about ab- about people that take advantage of young women and groom them. And there's grown men 26, 27, 28 year old men drinking with and kissing and in in and calling 16 year old girls. I'm sorry that for you that's just like that's this thing they're like, oh come on, you can't just keep bringing that up. Why the fuck not? I'm sorry, I enjoy wrestling as much as everybody else. I keep a fucking spreadsheet for it. I do podcasts where I talk about a hundred matches at any given at any given moment. I care about wrestling. I love wrestling. Something that I 
I'm super conflicted on, but I'm always going to love and want to watch wrestling. That doesn't take precedent over people's lives. Yeah. That's such a fucking selfish, frustrating, like maddening mentality people have that they would rather, they, they would, they mad, they would, you're the problem. You're the problem because you want some accountability for all the, all the toxic, evil, disgusting shit that happens within this industry. You're the problem because you want to get rid of it. You're the problem because you care and you want to help, you know, contribute to, contribute to someone's defense, defense fund facing their abuser in court. You're the problem for calling out other, other abusers and rapists and racists getting booked. It's your problem because you're not just shutting up and enjoying something that has, you know, that, that's unclear on whether or not uh, an, an, an abuser is going to be on the show. It's your fault. It's your, you're the you're the reason. And like, it's people within the industry that are doing shit like this. Someone that runs the fucking Progress Ring Crew is sitting there saying bullshit like this about unfounded accusations, as if ninety nine percent of rape of rape accusations. You know, kind of any kind of physical, sexual abuse accusations aren't true. As if that, like, as if as if anyone has a reason to make this kind of shit up. It's fucking wrestling. This is independent wrestling. It's like anyone's making money here. Why would anyone have a reason to make this up? Why would a wrestler ruin their reputation to make some shit like this up? But everyone else is the problem, right? Not the promotions are taking not not the promotions are taking accountability. Not the people behind fucking streaming service Twitter accounts. Not the people behind, behind ring crews, other wrestlers, everyone else that's actually upset and wants to change something about a toxic culture that we all have to deal with in this medium that we love. Everyone else is the fucking problem. And I'm, it's, I can't deal with this shit anymore. I can't deal with this shit because these are the people that make it so hard to stay in love with this thing, to care about this. The only thing you have to do is give a fuck that people got abused. That's it. This isn't this grand fucking conspiracy theory. This isn't the FBI getting involved in investigating for, in, in investigating anybody. No one gains anything here. No one gets anything here. There's no clout gain. There's no attention gain. There's nothing gained here. So why the fuck would anyone lie? All people want is accountability and transparency, but apparently that's too much. You guys just want to enjoy your mediocre ass pro wrestling that WWE is already ravaged and fucked up enough. But apparently, hey, let's all just enjoy it as if we're watching some fucking mind blowing, incredible entertainment now. It's okay to call the people. It's okay to call the people out. I don't know, but apparently that's asking for too much. Yeah, uh, there is. <laughs> there was so much there. It's like I thought about it earlier and I didn't say it but it is like me and you formed this friendship that we have through the UK wrestling scene I mean fuck we did podcasts the first podcasts we did early on with each other were talking about UK wrestling right I mean I started wrestling podcasting because of UK wrestling I mean the reason why I joined the you know PWO network PTBN network and started doing this week in wrestling was because they wanted someone who was familiar with progress because they wanted to start talking about progress and I had been watching it since the first show and that like UK wrestling is what got me into wrestling it's what is a big part of our friendship that like what we built coming through all of this years and years of really great stuff that I enjoyed watching all of that 
it was, you know, like you said, four years, wasn't super long, all this. I'd trade all of it in a second if, like, the survivors of this abuse could have not gone through what they did. That's me. I'm sorry. But, like, I could get over it. I could have... Ch my life could be completely different right now, and I would be fine with it, and I could have lost all of that enjoyment if it would have meant, especially the, the girl... And I'm sorry to even say girl because I don't know the person that well. I've only seen their posts here and there and then people talk about them. Um, so I don't. I feel bad to assume and I don't even know how old they are at this point. But, like, because, I mean, theoretically, isn't it the same victim from the, or survivor from the Marty Scroll story, right? And yeah. has, like, a ton of other stories that have to do with, like, RevPro as well and IPW and a bunch of other companies. Um, who unfortunately I think had a uh, their one of their parents was involved in wrestling and, and was a big part of what put them into this situation but yeah like I would that poor person had such a fucking terrible situation that they were, were put through over and over again and uh, I'd give up all of the enjoyment that I've had from UK wrestling to have them even just that one victim Survivor, Fuck, I'm, like, very bad at doing this. But even having that one survivor of all of that, not have to have dealt with it, I'd give it all up. But then on top of that, all of the other survivors and the shit that they went through because of the UK wrestling scene, like, it's astronomical. So I don't, I, I don't care that much about UK wrestling that I think that these people's lives should have been ruined for it. There was nothing that happened over that course, even, like I said, with the stuff that I got out of, like, doing podcasts, having friends, like... I'm sorry, but, like, I would rather of those people not have to have gone through what they did. Um, uh, I'm, I'm sorry I'm sorry to cut you off here yeah, and, go and go again, but this, go, but this goes to what I'm saying here, is that, like, we're talking about, like, what I'm saying here, and, like, I'm, obviously I'm coming, coming at this from an American standpoint. You can go ask anybody that is European, whether they're Irish, whether they're German, British, Scottish, whatever the fuck, wherever there's, like, wherever there is prominent wrestling... They will tell you about the communal feel, that especially on Twitter, Facebook, wherever, that that scene had. So imagine how, like, you know, just how we felt, you know, you know, with the limited kind of, like, grip that we had being involved in, like, the in, being involved in the European wrestling scene all the way in America. Imagine how they fucking feel. Right. In Europe. And, like, they, like, them going to, going to the shows together. People that you, people that you knew. People that you, people that you, you know, hung out with at the hung, hung out with at the bar, and you know, sat next to and cheered with, and did everything. That there was some, that there was someone, that there was someone abusing them on the same guard. People that like, you know, you talk, we, like every obviously we've talked, we have talked we we talked about and made fun of people that like, you know, believe like you know, oh I bought I bought a shirt from him, so he must be must be a nice guy, right? And say shit like that, but like. That's a real mentality, especially when you look at like the English wrestling scene, because it obviously wasn't just a fucking, you know, hand, like a handshake at the merch table. It was full on hanging out with these people after the shows. Like there was so there's so much going on here that obviously us as Americans can't speak to. But the culture was a little bit different over there. It brought people in. People really, you know, cared. It felt like they were a part of something there. And to me, it just, like, makes it feel like, don't you think that these people would love if wrestling wasn't like this? 
if their European wrestling wasn't like this, if they could just go back to the fucking Tivoli or, you know, um, or, or any, or any other, or any other place where they were enjoying their wrestling and just have to not think about shit like this? You think they want to bring this up? You think this is what they want to have? Do they think this is what they want to talk about? Of course not. They love pro wrestling just like you do. The difference is they're not willing to put pro wrestling over people's lives. Yeah. And you can't. Some people can't. If you went through this and you're a survivor of this, that's why we did the fucking trigger warning. That's why we let people cut off if they're because there's some people who hearing about it, thinking about it, being exposed to it is just brings everything back. It's PTSD. I mean, like it really is. And people I think that there are a lot of people who maybe we don't understand what that even means, like post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, because it really only became a popular thing for people to talk about in America, especially, like, relatively recently. A lot of people who, who came back from, like, you know, active fighting in the Middle East it was like kind of the first time that you started to hear about it, but stuff like shell shock or, you know, uh, you know, Vietnam syndrome and stuff like that is like PTSD. And it's not just war. It's like any traumatic stress situation can cause it. So even, even something like, like this can cause PTSD. It causes a trauma that you can't like control what happens when you when it gets brought back up in your mind and so like you said those people do you think that they wouldn't love to be able to go back to the community and the wrestling and the stuff that brought them so much joy and then now probably causes them so much pain like i'm sorry but like that's just really fucking shitty to think about and it's even bigger dude like like i understand that for some people they t- they took a lot of pride in seeing what the European wrestling scene became, but I'm sorry, like the European wrestling scene, maybe going back to a low period, is not more important than people, you know, feeling safe and comfortable again, even going to your shows, like even past this, right? Once people are vaccinated, people feel people feel safe again going to wrestling shows. You don't feel like there's gonna have an effect on attendance, on people that go to shows, the people that want to buy, you know, buy to buy tickets for wrestling shows. You don't think there's gonna have like a tremendous effect on that? Like, cool. You want to protect this scene so fucking bad. You don't want to see this scene go back to the dark ages. Cool. Guess what? Like, the same scene that you're so adamant about protect about protecting got built up by the audience that you're now pushing, but that you're now shitting on. Yeah. It got built up by the same people that you're so much, that you're so frustrated with because they're out on a witch hunt to get rid of abusers and rapists. This, those same people, guess what? Aren't going to be going to your shows. Not going to be buying your merch. Not going to be supporting it because now apparently they're the problem with the, they're, they're the problem with the scene now. It, it hurts. It really does. Honestly, it hurts. And like, oh, go ahead. No, I was gonna say, go ahead, finish what you're saying. And, and, and the shit hurts because it's like, well, like, what the fuck do you do from here? It's like, not only you know, is it so many people in the wake of speaking out, like you know, you know, having to deal with bringing bringing these emotions forward, right? Not only is it 
the fact that the biggest promotion in England knowingly used someone that was directly named in this is that people that still care about this are suddenly the bad guys. People that still care about this are suddenly the issue. And it's like, so where did you go from here? Where did you go from here seeing the contempt? And obviously it's not all obviously it's not all the wrestlers that are part of that, that are part of the, that are part of the European scene. But where do you go from here when you see wrestlers and even promotions talking like they have contempt for the fans that still care? Like, like, where do you even go from here? Well, like, it's nice. Like, 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 like I was gonna say, like, one regret that I have about last year when we, when we did, when we did, um, our show covering this, as I feel like maybe, like, I felt like as I look, as I, as I thought back on it, maybe we jumped too far into like the idea of like, you know, is there a world where Davis or anybody can come back? Because like, you know, no one should be coming back until people feel safe again, right? And that should have, and that should have always been. The main point, the main takeaway, the main question on how to make people feel safe again. Not when David Starr can come back. And that's like the one regret that I always had about like the about the show that we did last year. And now, it's like, how do you even expect people to want to go to fucking wrestling shows when it feels like you're mad at them for still caring? Yeah. Nah, yeah, I mean, that was kind of, I guess, kind of what I was going to to bring up it's just it's the idea that like all of this all this language gets gets co-opted and and we're actually seeing like this be such a negative example of what you could do with a restorative justice model because there is a lot of this is that's like gray area stuff that's not like illegal let's say on the books but I don't know theoretically should be but it's very tough to to police and it also is tough like if you if you don't necessarily believe in policing or laws in that way and then to have this where they co-opt the language and they and they just pay lip service to it and don't actually commit to anything it's like oh, okay so then what it looks like is like yeah that's not an option you can't actually do restorative community-based justice because it doesn't do anything and it's like no it's when bad faith actors take advantage of it that's when it doesn't work but but it's also like the co-opting as you're talking about like the 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 fans who 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 make it in or the people in general fans wrestlers promoters whoever who make it into the the problem is the people who won't shut up about it right the problem is the people who don't let it go they're the real and it's like that's another it's like co-opting like that stupid ass fucking comic where it's like you know shh, let people like things or or don't yuck my yum which is like based off of like gay culture don't yuck my yum was like uh dan savage came up or i guess popularized it i don't know who came up with it but it was about like fucking gay culture and like people who were in the mi- minority being like kind of like looked down upon by society it wasn't about like i'm allowed to continue liking pro wrestling even if there's like abuse serial abusers involved in it but you co-opt this language that's meant to help bolster and promote the underneath people to help like protect you in, in basically continuing to perpetuate the cycles of abuse and and um degradation of the underclass and 
not just the underclass when it comes to like you know money or 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 kind of that class thing which is important to me also but also like you know my minorities and people who are in like disenfranchised in different ways so it's just it's very frustrating to see that because it does make you question like like what what the fuck is the options and the pandemic's not over <laughs> and we were i mean I remember people during speaking out talking about like oh as soon as the pandemic's over just watch like they're going to just try to bring these people back it's heartening to see the internet not just roll over and take it in this situation and just be like yeah they're just allowed to come back like you know hopefully that continues going but i did have a thought it was another thing that i wanted to talk about when i was like doing my thing i got a little bit high the other day and i was just like chilling and thinking about stuff and i was remembering wrestling and i was thinking about like the top 50 wrestlers of the decade list that we did and 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 something that i saw from someone who was uh maybe a little bit uh like a critical of my list in uh in handwork simon saying like oh you know tim can only really make a good case for people from pwg and it's like okay whatever you know i get where that's coming from but like i said when i got a little bit high i was thinking about it and i was like yeah, I remember when I started doing podcasting about wrestling, how much I would talk about with Pete from This Week in Wrestling about how important it is to go to live wrestling shows and how it makes such a big difference. And it like it kind of keeps you from becoming like insanely cynical about wrestling because when you're there in the building, everything is fucking better. Live bias is a real thing because wrestling shows are meant to be seen live and are so much better to be seen live. And Right now, I don't want to encourage a bunch of people to go watch live wrestling because of the pandemic in general. But also, if if I know that companies like Progress here are more than willing to let abusers be backstage and abusers possibly become the wrestlers again and all of this stuff and there's no accountability, I really don't want to encourage people to go to live wrestling shows. I really don't want to continue to proselytize for the idea that professional wrestling is a form of entertainment that's meant to see in person. You know what I mean? And that fucking sucks. Because I kind of forgot until the other day when I was thinking about that, just how much of a thing that was. For the longest time, I constantly pushed the importance of watching wrestling live because it does make a huge difference. Wrestling is so much better in person. But I don't want to tell people to go to this. But exactly, and then, and then get back to what you're saying. So stick, like, So go back to your point about how much better is watching wrestling live and think about the people that went to, that traveled all over the place and went to, and were fucking season ticket holders and did this and went for the weekenders whether it was attack and fight club pro progress um fucking i icw whoever like and just going all over the place going to the going to these shows like you go, go to pwg and you went to other 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 places like usually you know pwg is once every few months and like you have other, other places or other places around the area right Think about how many people in, you know, in Europe that are all seeing the same people, seeing the same wrestlers almost like once a week, once every two weeks. Like, imagine the kind of, like, communal feeling that that creates. And to have that all fucking shattered, ripped apart, like, the anger, betrayal that must come from that, like... To me, look, that's why that's why that's why you can't just boil it down to something as simple as just moving on from it. Like there's a real sense of hurt. And not just from the survivors, obviously, and they're the most important party, but the people that 
put their all, put their, you know, put so much, you know, genuine love and passion into this thing. The people that, you know, made it possible that someone like Jordan Devlin can fucking get signed. Like, people that made it popular and hyped up OTT and talked about the video packages and talked about how good Walter versus De- Walter versus Devlin was and how good of a feud Star versus Devlin was and how good of a feud Osprey versus Havoc is. And these are the people that made that shit happen. And how were they like how were they supposed to recover from the fact that this scene and people that, you know, make decisions in this scene and even like their fellow fans care more care more about their content than the lives of than the lives of other people. Like something that I thought was re- really damning, and I'm like, we kind of moved on from progress, but I find it really damning that they were really swift to move on from Jordan Devlin and Scotty Davis and even OJMO over some tweets and yeah, all that stuff. But then they're dragging their feet through the mud for Paul Robinson like this, like OJMO, who was supposed to be part of whatever like new progress like you know kind of like people like committee at first they brought up tweets of his and they canned him immediately canned ojmo fucking immediately for i mean but you're, using but you're dragging but you're dra- for using the f slur in in private messages right like that was that was what ojmo got can- like fired mm. for basically yeah yeah I and mean, then it's very then, bad and, but still yeah but then but then the feet dragging on paul robinson is Obviously, it's all it's a it's boys club, it's boys club culture, you know, massage noir, patriarchy, and all that, and all that other, and all that other good shit that the wicked that we could get into. But like that is so fucking damning to me that like Paul Robinson groomed fucking young, groom, you know, took part in the grooming of a young girl, and they didn't even have the guts to fire him or suspend him anything like what the fuck you could even do that yeah it's like look at the official standings of the champions right uh the tag team champions as you mentioned is considered vacant the proteus title is still held by paul robinson just think about that (laughs) and like i said ojmo got canned immediately yeah over tweets that he shouldn't have done stupid immature the stupid immature thing it wasn't but, even tweets like i said it was a it was a private like a group chat yeah probably yeah, probably, i mean yeah again that doesn't make it okay but it does just it it just goes into like the fragrant the flagrant differences between how people are treated yeah and obviously like i'm not sure if paul robinson was a is a wwe employee i'm not sure i'm not sure about that he might just be. I don't a, think he, might, he is. He might have just been. A, no, I I, yeah, I kind of remember him being a guy who never got signed, wasn't ever involved in WWE. No, no, I'm saying like I was. I was not as a wrestler. I'm saying like we might have been as an agent, possibly. It's possible. I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but yeah, I, I, it's, it's bothered me all week to think about how they've treated this Paul Robinson thing, and just how swiftly they dealt with OJMO. It's. I can definitely see where you're coming from with that because it is it's it's glaring to think of the difference. And again, I'm not going to make excuses for what OJMO did. Uh, I will say that he's very young comparatively. And 
it, what he did was was very stupid, but it was also like I don't know. Again, it was it was theoretically supposed to be private. I mean, we you see conversations in the mainstream media currently going on about um, Ted Cruz's wife having a private you know conversation talking about them leaving Texas right like with the whole Cancun story and like some private DMs got leaked and people talking about how there's like a breach of trust there and you know that that was bad and it was to say like you know it's newsworthy and that doesn't mean that it shouldn't be kind of put out there in the press by journalists but that it does show a lack of character by the person who would leak it right that's the way people look at it and that was a a different situation with kind of real world consequences theoretically with the with a person whose job is you know to represent these people and and he deserts them in a a national emergency as it was dubbed by our current president basically um so you know even that is like it's a moral gray area to leak texts and that's the same thing with ojmo it's like should people have leaked those you know private messages i guess probably not should he have sent those messages also i guess probably not but should progress have like instantly fired him from a position that was meant to be about protecting people and representation like because of tweets where he said he used slurs without i mean i don't know but if they were more than willing to let him go for things that were like all kind of gray areas it feels like it'd be a lot easier to let go of paul robinson for something that feels a little bit more solid was thinking about it as you were talking about stuff and there is when there are cases in the legal system here in america that uh, are based around stuff like uh, like what paul robinson is, is accused of um one thing that they look for is is contemporary reports basically the idea that the victim again i i apologize survivors of abuse reported the issues and the things that happened to other people and those other people can corroborate the survivor's story as being told to them contemporaneously to when things happened the stories about the particular survivor from the paul robinson situation who like i said was related to marty scroll stories and many uh, other dan, dan, dan i think dan dan edler yeah. and other people like a like mm. fucking horrifying shit multiple other people a lot of very horrible things all of those stories were if not widely available to everyone were whisper secretly talked about contemporaneously so to say there's no corroboration would be like very far-fetched as you said people don't make these stories up but one 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 kind of corroborating evidence that is widely accepted in like i said the u.s legal system is did the person tell people about it 
around the time where it supposedly happened. And for the, these stories, yes, there is proof that there are people who say, I knew about this when it happened. I was told about this when it happened. And there are people who, who, who saw it. There are eyewitnesses who have in the past said that they saw things. So it does make it like a little bit more, okay, it's gray. It's a gray area thing, but there is some corroborating evidence. And again, the, to be able to say, OJMO, get the fuck out of here instantly. I believe Vicky Haskins was also let go. I don't remember exactly what the situation was, but I feel like there was a, you know, you know, someone saying something weird happened. There was improprieties there. I don't fucking know. I don't remember off the top of my head, but she was also let go from being part of the board of people who were going to try to make progress better moving forward. So, in the end, basically, the board of people who were supposed to improve progress all ended up disappearing pretty quickly from whatever. But Paul Robinson, not part of the board of people who were supposed to improve progress, still there. Had to be there. Had just indispensable. And again, it comes back to what we talked about before. Why Paul Robinson? What is the fucking deal with this guy? I would really love to know. And my brain instantly loves to go to conspiracy theory stuff because that's just the way my mind works. I'm not a QAnon guy, but I've always loved conspiracy theories. But, like, this is not the time or the place for any of that conjecture, and I don't have anything to point to, but I do. That's what makes this so fucking befuddling. Like, why? Why Paul Robinson? Why does he have to stay? Why does he have to be here? Like, he's not... <laughs> There's never been any sign that Paul Robinson is this genius fucking wrestling mind, right? Like, why can they not get rid of the guy? Not, not, not only that, but like the straight up thing where they said that, hey, because the person didn't email us back or we didn't get, or we, or we didn't get contacted back about that, that they thought it was okay to just move forward. They didn't be like, okay, well, let's, let's, well, let's, put, a, let's put a pin on this until... You know, maybe maybe we maybe we get an answer on that. You know, you know, even though they don't really deserve one, it should be as simple as you know, this this happened, and now you're deciding whether or not you're going to use Paul Robinson, you use Paul Robinson or not. You you shouldn't really need this like you know backing up of some of, of some of some of someone's claim like that. But the fact that there was, hey, we 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 wanted to. You know, get some more information on that. Didn't contact us back, so hey, whatever. We thought it was fine. Like that, like that, legitimately was their thinking there. Like, there, it's it's not even like something excusable. Like you know, maybe Paul Robinson's story fell through the cracks. That would have been a little bit more acceptable. That would have been a little bit. Oh my god, that would have been like, oh my god, it was so stupid, but a little bit more understandable. They knew, and then still decided to use him. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. They knew. I don't they know. They knew he had to, and for some reason, he just had to be there. That's the thing. I can't get it out of my head. I really can't. I really can't stop thinking about why was it so important that Paul Robinson was part of this. It could have. He could have easily sat it out. Like clearly, wrestling is not his main source of income at this point, especially. After this g fucking pandemic, right? Like, it, it's not as if he is making his living off of wrestling for the past year. Because there's just no wrestling to be had. So, why, why did he have to be here? Like, I...
I can't I can't stop questioning it. Um ah, <laughs> So yeah. I I um I don't know. Do, do, you, have, you, have, you have anything else here? I mean New Japan strong, right? I don't know if you've heard. Oh god, I for, fucking forgot about that. Like this is it's all part of the same thing and we've already talked about you know the you same can, survivor. You, you can't Go, go. You can't. You can't even. You can't even act like they don't know. This is fucking New Japan strong. They're based in the U.S. Yeah. This is U.S. based people. They know like, why he's available because he had this fucking crazy ironclad contract with you know the best highest. He was paid. the fuck. He was he the fucking Booker. Like. Yeah. So you know why he became available because they let him go. It was and it was Sinclair who you know was strongly behind Trump. Um. So they're totally fine with sexual assaults people who do yeah. sexual assault yeah ring of yeah fucking sinclair you know sinclair broadcasting group support you know trump support trump supporting people yeah they were like yeah let's let him we part of ways of marty's yeah. girl let's let him go whatever so you know when it comes down to it they did whatever background check look into things that they wanted to do and they uh they 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 gave him the axe and you bring him in and you know the reports are now that he worked backstage as a producer or whatever but that that can't be it you know that i i i yeah i I think that i think i i heard that there was some that there was some on-screen stuff yeah so he's going to be on screen and i could almost you fucking know and you know like it's not just okay Everyone that had their ear to the ground somewhat on on the English wrestling scene fucking knew the Marty Skrull shit. It's, the yeah. least had caught wind of it on some level for the last, like, fucking five years. Like, have caught, have caught, have caught wind of it yes. somewhat. So it's not, it's, so it's not this thing where, like, you know, people are making remarks like, oh, they're bringing, they're bringing in the aunts and then no, and then no one, like, you know, clarified further on what they were talking about. This shit is out there now. It's out there. You know. It's also not a thing where it's like we're talking about like the company based in Japan. It's not like the fucking Michael Elgin shit. It's not like it's not it's not like that either. There's no excuse to be made here. They fucking know. They knew because Marty's girl was a free agent, and Marty's girl decided to sign this big ass R wage contract where he got all the power in the world, and now suddenly he's gone, and you know exactly why he's gone, and you still did it. WWE gets a whole bunch of shit and deservedly so with their fucking horrifying evil history and evil doesn't even do justice to the amount of shit that WWE has been involved in firsthand. But New Japan needs to be held accountable for this shit. Yeah. They have to be. It's no, there's no excuse to be made here. There's nothing. They fucking knew and they still did it. This is New Japan strong. Marty Skrull is one of the biggest sought-after acts in wrestling when his contract was up. They and New Japan sun, was one of the sun, companies vying for his contract, so it's not as if they don't know that he signed with ROH instead of them. And now suddenly, this guy who signed this big contract and was a booker and had the cushiest job in pro wrestling that wasn't WWE is suddenly there. You know why he's there. And you still did it. New Japan needs to, New Japan needs to, be held, needs to be held accountable for fucking running show for fucking fucking running like big shows, 
during during no during during the pandemic, and for this shit right here, absolutely no fucking excuse for this. Insane that this even happened, and that they acted like this was just like regular normal shit. Yeah, absolutely. Like, ab- like no no no. There's no way that this should just go unnoticed like that. And I think that us Western fans, people outside of Japan give a lot of stuff a pass historically and now acting as if you know it's a different culture and stuff is different and maybe they don't know but there's this and i think this is a smoking gun for anyone who questions it and i mean there's a lot of stuff that i think we've overlooked over the time that it's like really easy to to say it's okay but i mean if you want to like kind of put your money where your mouth is for where things are important like japan is an ethno state japan is a country where historically they are very homogeneous when it comes to like the culture and they don't really treat people outside of the norm really chill they do not treat them well and people were getting into a conversation on the slack chat about like you know what what black wrestlers have ever been treated well in japan and oh yeah it's like none it's like realistically there are very few and when you really look at it it kind of got away in the old west days and you know the, the the days where things were just okay because like being a freelancer and all that was pretty normal and people kind of treated it with like a certain kind of respect and, and there was honor between whatever and whatever but when you look at it now it's like I can't think of the last black wrestler who was a contracted talent of New Japan. Like, really? Like, they don't... They're all freelance. They don't sign black wrestlers to legitimate contracts. And people can point at different people and think, like, you know, oh, this person, that person. But when it comes to the real business, you have to keep in mind that, like, someone like Sonata was not a contracted New Japan wrestler until, like, last year. So you have to remember that when when it comes to New Japan, they will book people and they will primarily have them be only booked there and they will still technically be freelancers. People like the Young Bucks were never signed to an actual New Japan contract. They were always freelancers, right? So it's like they were there for years and years and they never... And that's another thing that goes to show like outsiders, gaijin, whatever they want to use, like... We use gaijin in America as, like, we think it's, like, okay to say. We have to keep in mind that that's, like, it's kind of a racial slur in Japan. And I even use it like it's okay, but it, it is kind of like using a racial slur in Japan. And, and, and like, honestly, like, with, with relationship with Japan's relationship with black with blackness, like, and obviously there is, like, a, like there's a lot of, like, fucking blackface and shit like and shit, and shit like that that happens like you know you know and a lot of insensitivity to black culture that happens um you know with it with it uh, with it within uh communities there but you gotta look no further than fucking just aja kong yeah like the fact that you know because she's big because because she's big and half and half and half black that her name had to be kong yeah like they literally had to call her Kong. They had to imply that she's fucking an ape, that she's a monkey. 
that she's a gorilla. Like that, like that had to be part of the implication. Implication, because because Aja Kong is half black. Like, you look, you gotta look no further than that. So, am I totally surprised that this that those same people then have like issues with with the uh, misogynoir and patriarchy, and you know, just shunning, us uh, shunning sexual assault victims or not caring about any kind of like sexual assault accusations no it's not surprising at all like you wanted to give like maybe the benefit of the doubt because the elgin stuff was straight up happening in the u.s and he was and in a, japan it, right like you wanted to give that the benefit of the doubt and again who knows the extent of what people knew knew, knew about that in japan no one will no one will ever truly know but this one it's not surprising and there's no excuse for it yeah absolutely just no excuse for it at all but what, but like you said when you look further into the history of japan and our friend and our pal alex you know yeah. bringing bring 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 bringing her new show mm-hmm. uh to the to the network she can tell you a whole lot about you know the gent about the about the gender about the gender dynamics and and patriarchy and misogynoir that ha- that, that, go, that goes on in japan the racism everything like you know a lot of us want to go there and act like it's like this nice wonderland of cool shit and everything. But like the reality is there's a lot of issues with the, you know, there's, there's a lot of issues with, with country, you know, with, with, with other countries and not just Japan when it comes to shit like that. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, we do want to think that like Western culture is, is Western culture is so like fucking you know, amazing. And we've, we've moved so far and we're so accepting. I mean, uh, the vice president is, <clears throat> you know indian you know east asian and 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 uh and black oh my god like oh and her her husband is jewish like can you imagine how diverse you can be and like all that stuff but we just give this gigantic pass to the east i mean most of the countries in asia are ethnostates and are ran in a way where people who are outsiders of that culture are treated like second-class citizens. And we come close to that here at sometimes, but we're nowhere near as bad. Like, and you can argue that there's a lot of issues when it comes to capitalism and, like, that on the face value, the state can treat you like an equal citizen, but capitalism keeps you, you know, in your place and you're, you're never going to be allowed to make it to a certain level. And that's definitely very true. But in other countries... And Japan is a, a glaring example of this. It's not just capitalism that's keeping you out. The state itself is literally enforcing laws that make it so that people who are outsiders can't, you know, just live normal lives. And I don't know, like, do we want to accept that? Do we think it's okay? I mean, I... I guess America politically is fine with ethnostates because we support Israel, but that's a whole nother conversation for a whole nother podcast. Well, I mean, obviously, we know what we know what America is. The only threat that they ever find, you know, an issue with is anything that's related to communism. Sure, that's the only thing. That's the only thing they ever care about, unless it's unless it's something that's directly and that's directly involving, uh, you know, mining and excavating. And hollowing out places for their places like places places in the Middle East and Africa for their resources. The only thing that they care about stopping involve communism. Right. That's that's it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. It's, it's the re, it's the re, it's the reason why they've been warring with a small with a small island 
with you know with, with you know with almost like with a virtually non-existent military for fucking 60 years yeah exactly it's the reason why we continue to to have an aggressive stance towards russia which is like yeah has i've heard someone say has the gdp of ohio you know what i mean like they do not they're not a gigantic but they still want you to believe they're a gigantic military force with a gigantic economy but they are not they are very small in the grand scheme of things they have a large land mass and that's a big part of why we still fuck with them because there's a gigantic siberian landmass, and if global warming gets as bad as it can siberia could be where the new cornfields are in a second if we decide that we need to take it over we will try but when you really look at it geopolitically they don't have any power compared to us china obviously is coming close but we still want to like pretend like maybe they're going to be our friends you know but yeah like the idea that america is okay with and continues to support and american people i guess i will say don't really stop and think and it 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 does feel like it's just this cultural blind spot where you're allowed to like give them the pass because it's so different that they don't get it and it's like no they fucking get it (laughs) they understand they're just kind of shitty and you talk about it but in japan like i don't i don't know that like in japan they necessarily would defend uh a japanese woman from similar allegations right as what they have towards marty scroll so imagine how they feel about a british woman making those allegations like they 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 really don't give a shit and that's why they're like Big, gonna yeah. be completely the, fine know, with it no bigotry patriarchy misogynoir and exploitation of the working class all speak the same language no matter where you are that's it no matter where you are in the world that shit all speaks the same language and, and like I think I think like that's the biggest takeaway, and obviously, obviously, like New Japan Strong is like the U.S. branch of this ja- of this Japanese uh, based company, but that's the reality of it. Like, like you know, shit that perpetuates rape culture and misogyny and patriarchy and any kind of bigotry and victim blaming and shit like that. It all speaks the same language, no matter where you are, no matter no matter what language you speak, no matter what, this shit all speaks the same language. And it's like it's always gonna be a fight to like you know fight back against these things because you feel like you know America is so bad with it, but then you realize America is just, just the tip of the iceberg on how far on how far goes the world has been truly fucked up by this kind of shit. <laughs> yeah, when I hear people say, and I I do think that 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 thought and and what you said there is a, a great place to close out on, but. I do think that, like, for me and you, when we hear people talk about, like, oh, America is so progressive and it's so great and I see the things and the way people act and... Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> this is... I shouldn't even get into this, but I... I it, it hits home really hard when I see, like, certain bigotry even more lately on top of just how I look at stuff in general. Um, and I do think, like, America is in the fucking Stone Age when it comes to this stuff. Right? But then when you look at it in the grand picture of the global scheme of things, we most certainly are not. We're not at the at the pinnacle and some people want to pretend like we are, but we're definitely not. Like 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 the, like despite the fact that we just had uh Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Bobert go in go in there and call trans women not women and Ugh. Yeah, and, and a whole bunch of other disgusting transphobic comments. Despite that, like 
when you look at the rest of the when you look at the rest of the world and like shit that's happening and even like you know like you know like Ghana and the homophobia that's going on in Ghana like you can't even you know what America still isn't even the worst it's like like I said America really is the tip of the iceberg with with certain shit like it's like it's a it's a mix of like oh maybe America can change and get better uh then it's like so disheartening that like Jesus Christ, like, we're not the worst? <laughs> yeah, I know. It does. When you look at the big picture, it does become frightening. Um, but, like I said, I do, I do like the idea that, as you said, like, <laughs> bigotry speaks the same language no matter what country it is, is a, a, a phenomenal thought to close out on. But uh, the one thing that did cross my mind is the Progress main event and the people in the Progress main event. Uh, Carnoir, who is very much a queer coded character um and i think a lot of people hey similar to jack sexsmith who did um have his ag- accusations during speaking out right uh sometimes these queer coded characters maybe aren't um as with it as you would hope when it comes to the actually you know the speaking out and the actually like advocating for these people so another one it's like goddamn dude like car noir you're gonna be in the main event and you're going to like kind of present this like allyship to these certain the certain group of people and you can play it off and pretend like you're not and that's fine and i don't even want to point like a major pick finger at car noir he is the champion of this company so maybe some of the blame does belong on his shoulders but that's not my point because his challenger is dan maloney who was very vocal during the speaking out stuff and afterwards even came even came even came forward with a story about how he feels like he was sexually exploited Mm -hmm. and a lot of this stuff is going around and he is really calling stuff out and i will say i watched the i watched the main event and i will say he looked amazing physically his shape was phenomenal he's in great shape he was fired by wwe you know nxc uk he was let go and he shows up here after calling out all of this stuff he shows up on progress a wwe branded affiliate looking in great shape and he wrestles this main event match that you know the match is fine that's not the fucking point the point is as fucking trite as it is like the most vocal motherfuckers always turn out to be these kind of careerist sons of bitches the saying that i've heard many times and i've always been really offended by his when they say they're allies it's all lies and when this motherfucker comes out here and he speaks up and constantly everything and like you said he's so fucking vocal and he's even saying i think i was a a victim or a, a survivor whatever like and then he's in the main event of the first show and paul robinson is backstage i mean i'm sorry man have you seen any anything from from Dan Maloney calling out Paul Robinson for being there since this because I sure as um, shit I, haven't. I don't. I don't think so. I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure if Dan Maloney's on Twitter. Did he delete his Twitter? Uh, yeah. So it's just yeah yeah yeah. I don't even think he's on Twitter. So it's just again, it goes back to the same thing. It's it's really tough because the most vocal people sometimes are the people that you can trust the least, and it just really fucking sucks. To see something like that. No for, hey, look, you know, as much as it sucks to say, look no further than Zack Sabre Jr. Yeah, exactly. And I was going to, I meant to look this up because I wanted to, to 
to to to do this now moving forward but uh i forgot to look it up but you know it's been it's been over a year since zach saber jr has tweeted everyone so keep that in mind uh yeah I'm, actually let me let me get let me get the exact uh last time when is the when is the last time zach saber jr actually made his own tweet yeah the last time zach saber jr actually tweeted something that wasn't a retweet was june 15th of last year yeah has not tweeted one time since then and his last retweet was june 15th yeah so hey keep that in mind everyone <laughs> uh thank you all for listening to this very serious edition of the podcast this week um next week um i'll have some psychology is dead content coming so may or may not be um a podcast from the two of us timothy might timothy might try to do his own thing no guarantees there but if you don't see a podcast from the two of us the next week that is why and then after psychology is dead we'll get right back to regular regularly scheduled programming but thank you if you listen to this entire thing um as hard of it as hard as it was for uh me and Timothy to uh, talk about this stuff. I can imagine how hard it was might have been for some people to listen, and hopefully, you know, as people that want to see wrestling do better, hopefully, you know, we band together and re- remain consistent on standing up to this shit, and hopefully, it will be better. But that's it for us this week. Thank you all for listening. Hope you're here next time. Every time you look outside your window Everything is just the same as before You are turning round and round You see it's a sad day for sure Taste the fruit of me Make love to all you see
arms were embraced around you. I lie naked and pure with intentions to cleanse you and take you. The city howls with a cry to seduce you and claim you. So it's time. And it's a sad day for sure. Would you make a, make a, make a wish on my love? Ah.